Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me is our host, Dr. Russ McCullough, our Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, Dr. Justin Clark, my fellow graduate assistant, Jacob Michael, and our undergraduate assistant, Jacob Caudill. All right. Well, today we threw it to our resident philosopher to come up with a topic. And uh, he wants to pick our brains on our beliefs and changing our minds. So, Justin, what did you have in mind here? Uh, I thought it would be interesting to have a discussion about uh, how, when, and why people change their minds. And it, it kind of became clear to me over the past couple weeks, and I mean, over the past few years when I've been teaching, you know, I've changed my mind on a bunch of different topics. Um, and it usually takes me a little bit of time to change my mind. But I think three weeks ago in my business ethics class, you know, students were giving a presentation and one of my students who's, you know, one of my stellar students, he was giving a presentation and there was a question and answer period. And he got some pretty barbed questioning uh, questions from the crowd and he answered some of them, but um, he really stumbled on one of them and he knew he stumbled on it at the end of it. Um, and he had to, you know, stop and think before answering. And the answer he gave wasn't really coherent. And at the end of class, he came up and he was, he was like, you know, what, what did I do wrong? What should I have done better to prepare for that kind of question? You know, how should I have answered it? And, you know, the question wasn't something that he could have really prepared for. And, you know, I told him, it's okay to just say, I don't know, when you get asked a question that you don't know the answer to. And, he seemed kind of like flabbergasted by that advice that I was saying, you know, it's okay to admit that you don't know when you don't know something. Uh, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. I learned that one a long time ago that that yeah. was the thing. And, and then the very next week with the next group that presented, I had a student who was giving their presentation and they gave, you know, their answer to one of the case study questions. And you know, their answer was, you know, we should do X in this case. And another student uh, raised their hand and said, well, what about, what about this scenario where blah, 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 blah happens? And the person up there, you know, they kind of paused for a minute and then they asked a follow-up question like, well, wouldn't that do this? And the, the questioner said, no, I think that, you know, because blah, 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 this is the case. And then the presenter stopped for a minute again. And then they said, you know what? I think you're right. I actually think that I think that you're right. And so I th think my answer to the question was wrong. And I just stopped the class and I went, okay, I want everybody to stop and listen to this because what this presenter has just done is just that their opinion. And then when they got more information, they changed their mind based on that information instead of digging their heels in and finding another way to justify the position that they held. Yeah. And that's not flip-flopping. That's called, being rational um, right right they stopped in their tracks and were able to do it too which is interesting they didn't like maybe after the fact pull it more and then come back around to it they like right in the moment yeah and i know i mean 
would that we all could be so rational to do that kind of thing in the moment. But I know there's a bunch of things that I have changed my mind on in the last 10 years, probably almost all of my beliefs, you know, not, you know, um, I like to think I do it for, for reasons that are due to argument, but it seems to me that a lot of people kind of pride themselves. No, I, these, these are my beliefs and um, I, I'm not budging on them. And and when you present them with an argument that refutes or at least undercuts the reasons they give for believing their conclusion, they just come up with new reasons for that same conclusion rather than altering their conclusions. And what that means is that you're not reasoning your way to your conclusions. You're starting out with your conclusions and then trying to find arguments to support them. Yeah. So one thing that comes to mind when you're speaking is that I think might be good for the listeners to think about is overconfidence bias and confirmation bias. So human beings tend to be overconfident about their beliefs in what they are so that, oh, I must be right. And so they're a little reluctant to give it up when maybe evidence to the contrary presents itself. So that to me would be the thing where maybe it takes time to like, absorb the new data because of my overconfidence bias. Maybe I, I think whatever I, however I came to this belief in the past must have been a good reason because that's me and I'm good and I'm thoughtful or whatever. And then the confirmation bias is that we tend to only stop short. We seek for information, confirm our belief, but once we find something that helps confirm it, we don't look at other data that maybe doesn't confirm it. And so we tend to look for evidence that supports what I am rather than something that would overturn it. And so in, in, a, in a rational, completely rational thought, you would gather all of the data and then make your decision based on that. But confirmation bias says we as humans tend to stop short of that uh, rational thought by looking for evidence that supports it. Oh, and then we're done. Oh, I found the thing that helps me and support my belief. I don't need to look anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's even more than just looking at all the data, right. But being open to more data as it comes in, which is what you were saying with just stopping after you get the, the data that you think confirms your belief. And so I can think of a couple things that I have changed my mind on over the past few years. And I'm trying to think of, uh, I wanted to think, to try to think of ones that were simple enough where I could explain why I changed my mind, but also where you know, everyone on here would understand what I changed my mind about. So there are things like religion and abortion, which are really weighty and would take like a whole, a whole podcast for anyone right. to talk about them. Or there are things like nominalism in the philosophy of mathematics, which will just bore everyone to tears. Um, <laughs> So I can think that one of the things that I've definitely come to change my mind about is like my certainty that free trade between nations is mutually beneficial in the way that free trade within nations is beneficial in the Ricardian, in the Ricardian sense, where according to Ricardo's principle of comparative advantage, if you do the thing that you are you know, comparatively best at producing, then, of course, 
even though you know you specialize and you produce one thing, there is more overall stuff for everybody to distribute between them. Right? Okay, and you're saying you, in the past you didn't believe that, or no. were you skeptical of it, or what would be the right way to frame what your beliefs were prior to that? Prior to what I used to believe is that comparative advantage works to benefit everybody at all levels. And so it is in our best interest, not only as a nation to have free trade within the nation, but also to trade freely with other nations. And my current belief, uh, and the reason I believe that is because you can obviously show, you know, which everyone who's taken economics knows that you can show that when you specialize, there's more stuff to to distribute between everybody when we do this. There's right? a bigger there's a bigger pie, right? A bigger pie to divide, right? Yeah. Each person's more productive in what they're best at. Yes. And probably around a year, maybe two years ago, I started to have doubts about the efficacy of doing this between nations rather than within nations. And the reason why has to do with uh, something that I think has become definitely more evident since the advent of, you know, the coronavirus or whatever, right? Which is that when countries specialize in things, like if we have outsourced our entire mask producing capacity to China, say, right? And no. that supply line can get disrupted or they can choose to not trade with us, then that can become a problem. And an easier way to see this is, you know, if we just take the classic guns and butter example, right? You know, if we just have people producing two things, guns and butter. And if, if we have two people producing guns and butter within a nation, and you can say, look, according to comparative advantage, if one person produces guns and one person produces butter, then we end up with more guns and uh, more butter for everybody. Look, it's a guns and butter party, right? And uh, now, let me just, let me add on just real quick that uh, there's other theories that move beyond comparative advantage that look at the idea that we have lots of intra-industry trades so that the theoretical too-good model of guns and butter where there's full specialization really isn't realistic anyway, so it's not something we have to fear. Yes, that we would be completely stripped of all possibilities in guns if we relied completely on the Chinese to supply our guns while we supply them butter or something, so... So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up that that's not some sort of like underlying theory, you know, that economists hang their hat on with the, with the too good model that, of course, real life is a little more sophisticated. But that said, continue on. Yeah. So one of the reasons why this works within a nation is that there seems to be a kind of underground at least an assumption that the trade that happens between the people who produce the guns and the people that produce the butter will be done fairly uh, according to the law, et cetera. Which brings yeah. you the cultural, kind of a cultural aspect too, on top of maybe the law, they have a shared law that there was open borders and then maybe a shared culture, compassion for even the people that live in Missouri as we sit here in Kansas. Yeah. And, so 
But if you take that to a model where if we just let China produce all the guns and we produce all the butter, you run the risk of producing all this butter and saying, hey, China, we would like you know, to trade our butter for some of your guns. And they just say, we think you have our butter. And that's, of course, a very simple, as you pointed out, cartoonish example of it. But I used to think there was absolutely no problem at all with, with offshoring large sectors of our economy. And I think it's become more evident, especially with things like pharmaceuticals, um, that we at least want to keep, I'm not saying that we have to produce everything here, but we at least want to keep competencies and potentials to produce things here should things go haywire. So it, it has eroded my, uh, I've changed my belief from, you know what, the more globalization, the better, the bigger the market, the better, and we shouldn't worry about uh, our national capacity for production at all to, you know what, there actually is some room for some worry here. You know, I'm not saying what that level of worry is, but I used to not have any worry about that. I and now I do. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely a pressing issue today with um, open immigration comes to mind of, of refugees, is, you know, currently a, a hot topic over in Europe as they come from Syria or other places. And are they, are they changing our culture? So people might have previously had an open borders type of mentality and then 10 years later they're seeing their culture change because the other culture is starting to um, I guess infringe on their culture to some degree there might be some conflicts and so and I think that comes if we take a step back further of what do we think about humanity I think people's visions of humanity not to necessarily bring in on a soul type of visions here but you know, are we all the, the same? And so then if we are all kind of homogeneous in a sense with our culture and our beliefs, then the open trade argument would make more sense. But if we start from a position that, that we're different and it's okay to be different, and then things get a little more complicated in terms of just consuming material things of guns and butter, that there's other aspects to life that it's multidimensional and that there's other constraints that we should take into consideration. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. But I also, I've only said two of the things I need to say. So I've said what I used to believe and why I used to believe it and what I now believe and why I now believe it. But I think the part that that sounds like our cliffhanger to the second half to hear Justin's continuation of those other beliefs. And then we plan on opening it up to um, some other beliefs here with our other team members and see, see where we take this. So we'll be back in 30 seconds. Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at or call us at 785 the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. 
If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today. Okay, we're back. So Justin's going to wrap up here with his uh, last couple tidbits on his belief change here. Justin, take it away. Okay, so I said what I used to believe, why I believed it, and then what I now believe and what changed my mind. And I think the thing that is important to also say is to admit, look, I think I was wrong. I think that I was wrong, and that changed my mind. And now, of course, I think I'm right. But just like I used to think that I was right, and I now think I'm wrong, we all know that we all have some beliefs that we currently hold that aren't correct, and we don't know which ones those are. So what we should be trying to do is to figure out which of the beliefs that we hold that are not true. And we should be happy when we find out um, that some of the beliefs we previously thought were correct, we have better reasons now for doubting them and for believing the opposite. So when we got, find the truth, right? Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I was wondering if maybe anybody else has a belief that they have changed, um, and if you could kind of walk us through the procedure by which you changed your mind. Yeah, so I've had a ton of free time these last couple of weeks with everything going on, so I've been reading a lot, and... I've been kind of challenging, I guess, everything that I've been thinking the last year with these, all this Mises and all this other Austrian economics. I've been trying to read a bunch more of Catholic economics the last couple of weeks. And I think I, I'm going, transitioning a little way more, challenging the idea I have, like Russ just said, that growing the pie is necessarily the best thing as far as preserving, the, uh, I guess, people's individual dignity. I think in general, there's three ways that people reach goals, or there's three, there's three, three levels to goal setting, right? You set the goal, you attain the goal, and then some goals you don't attain. And I think largely as we grow technology, it makes it easier for everyone to meet the second, the second one. So most people are always in either one or three, where as we keep growing our technology and growing this pie, I don't know if that allows for, even if people are getting better off in material terms, I don't know if that's the best thing for individual dignity. So I think part of it is largely these large agglomerates and the lack of use of our antitrust laws where cooperatives in smaller localities and communities can step up and fill these roles. And maybe that even be helping with something that we're in now. We wouldn't see these supply line shocks. I'm not talking moving to like a total autarky or anything. I'm just talking about maybe, and I'm, you know, I'm still working through all this in my head. And I mean, that's the great thing. Like, I think it's great to kind of challenge your own beliefs because if I thought the same way I did, five years ago, I think I'd largely wasted five years of my life. Jacob, can you state what you used to believe and what you now believe as Yeah, so I used to think that, that increasing GDP and material well-being was the end-all be-all, whereas now I think that's not necessarily the most important thing for the individual, whereas I think having, having a share in that process might be more important and finding value and dignity in your work 
versus just having the, the latest phone, even if you're poor. So if I read you correctly, you're saying you used to think that increasing economic progress was like the prime directive of the state. And now you think that uh, something like maximizing human dignity yeah, I think, ought I think to come in there yeah. and that you previously didn't make room for accounting for human dignity. Right. I thought, I mean, I thought it was all about allowing the individual to make the most choices. And I think there's still room for that while putting in some type of systems that allow people to have a share in that process more than just making choices that they're restricted by because of the society they live in, if they makes it, if that makes sense. But with the overall aim of increasing dignity, which didn't yeah. play it, which wasn't yeah. even a kind of a variable in your previous. Just, just because we have the highest level of well-being now, I don't think that necessarily people are the happiest. And I think there's a lot of things that, or there's a lot of data that supports that. And something I was reading about was this anecdotal thing about how primitive people didn't have the fear of growing old because they just saw it as phase going through this life, right? They, they saw that they earned the privilege to reach old age, where now people have reached this old age and they, they, they try to pursue all these strategies to feel young and revitalize themselves, where it's just part of growing old, but people like, like people just have this stress that comes with all this, the stimulus almost that we have and, and people substitute meaningful activity for things um, that necessarily aren't beneficial to them. Like oh, one of the examples it has is like rich people who go out and pursue all these deviant behaviors because they have everything that they already want. And I mean, the more that we increase our material well-being, the less that we have to work to achieve, I guess, the satisfactions of our, of our basic needs for survival. And so, uh, I, and, and you know, that's just kind of what I've been reading now. And um, it's kind of been challenging everything that I've been thinking about because some of it's kind of hitting home to me. I've been reading a lot of Heinrich Pesch and Hilaire Belloc and some of what they say kind of makes sense. And I'm trying to, trying to find the balance between me speaking them right now. Okay, so I just want to say that your topic sounds super interesting and like we could spend an entire podcast on that alone. But it's about changing your mind, right? Yeah, so, and that's the process I'm Yeah, and I think you did a great job of explaining what you used to believe, what you now believe, and why you changed your mind. I get an A? No, because you haven't done the third part yet. <laughs> well, it'll probably be different in two months anyway, so. <laughs> no, but you have to do the third part, Jacob. Remember? No I, no, I don't. I'm sorry. Admit you were wrong. Oh, say I was wrong? Why I was yeah. wrong? I'm not sure that I was wrong. You know, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find a middle ground. I think it's different. Uh, I, I don't think it's either either or. I think there's there can be middle ground and kind of forming your own opinion is is kind of that, that valuable thing. But like I said, I, I, I might have been wrong thinking that just maximizing material well-being and GDP was the best thing to allow people to feel like, to, to feel that connection to, I guess, the world around them and to, to share into that 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 process of production rather and i don't want to sound like some some marxist saying that like otherwise we're just cogs in the machine like that's not what i'm getting at but more so, of like a more a more fulfilling sense of of being part of that economic system so jacob you just spent 20 minutes telling me that you used to believe that gdp was the only thing that matters and now you don't think that gdp is the only thing that matters and yeah, then I said, okay, I great. So say that you were wrong. And you went, I wasn't wrong. I don't think I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's this what is I'm my talking. point. You have, 
Yeah, you, this is my point that we ought to take pride in the fact that, no, you know, I read something else and now I think I was wrong. I've changed yeah. my beliefs. Mm-hmm. You still no, haven't said right. it out loud. Okay, maybe, okay, I was wrong. Okay, there we go. <laughs> See how good that feels? Uh, maybe for you. No, <laughs> no but I mean, what, what is the, 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 isn't it the Aristotle aphorism that's like, all I know is I know nothing, man? It's Socrates, and it's self-refuting, Socrates. right? Yeah, my mistake. Well, yeah, I, only, I had to bite my tongue for as long as I could, but I, and I only want to say one thing, that I, I came to learn, it's kind of similar to the way Jacob was, that I think more of GDP as a result rather than a goal. So freedom and liberty brings about higher GDP and material things, but it's more of a result rather than a goal and i don't necessarily disagree with that yeah so again like this sh- this discussion really shouldn't even be about the content of the ideas that we're I get you. Uh, yeah yeah forward, yep, for right? sure yeah okay. i think we can do another podcast we got a podcast topic on that so yeah i apologize i'm always pretty long-winded let's see oh, so we move to jason here so philosopher justin can pick your brain Okay, so before uh, in high school when I was applying for colleges and everything, I was definitely uh, in the belief that college was way too expensive, that we spend a lot of money on college, and it's definitely when you're looking at the price tag in high school, it feels like a lot. But over the years, I've learned a couple of different things that have changed that. I learned along the way that there are a lot of missed scholarship opportunities both personally and from people around me, I learned that learned that the hard way. But also that there, there has to be a price on it because if everybody gets it, then it undermines the value of the degree, right? So if everybody gets a degree, then you have to get a master's degree to stand out. And then if everybody gets a master's degree, then you have to get your PhD, 10 years experience for an entry-level job and all, all of that fun stuff that we joke about on Facebook. But yeah, that was definitely a belief that I had felt that college was way too expensive. And I learned along the way, like, kind of why why it was that way and kind of the value of the degree and why it was worth it to me in the end. So it sounds like you learned some economics. Right? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so you now believe college isn't too expensive? Oh, I mean, it's still a little pricey, but I don't think that it should be free. Oh, Okay. No Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> no feel the burn. I'm not feeling the burn. <laughs> so, who's part of you? Your statement of. Oh, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm starting to pick up a pattern here. All right. So, young Jacob, uh, what do you got? All right. So uh, I'm a born and raised Catholic, so growing up I was kind of taught and believed that church was required on Sundays, and uh, (laughs) the last few years I've kind of thought, why the heck is it required? Because I don't really want to go anymore, because it's kind of a nuisance and I fall asleep half the time. So I guess I started off believing that I was forced to go, and I had to go because people told me to. And then over the last, like, years or two, I just thought, you know, if I don't really have to go, why should I? (laughs) 
So it sounds like you're becoming a Lutheran. <laughs> I'll pray for you, Jacob. <laughs> but that's, I, I don't know if I was wrong or not, because I still, like, Pope's all, yeah, you're required. And I'm just like, am I, though? <laughs> so if you don't think you were wrong, then you haven't changed your mind, right? I mean, I have, but okay. um, I don't know what the right opinion is in this situation, honestly, because it's just my opinion on the whole thing. There's a lot of literature that, that would support that you might be in the wrong on that one. Oh, uh, yeah, most definitely, especially with the Bible and all. No, no judgments here. <laughs> I'll take young Jacob under my wing and show him that. Uh... All right, Justin, what's your diagnosis here? It's like pulling teeth to get people to admit they're wrong. I was wrong there. Okay. <laughs> I think this one, this one does uncover a little bit different, though, because I could see my understanding of the Catholic faith is that God instructed the Pope. The Pope said, go to church. That's the rules of the Catholic faith. So, um, I don't know. What do, what do you think on this one, Justin, as far as if you – it's kind of like, are we all right? Like, I don't want to be thinking, like, is Jacob just having a conflict between what some institution had said was right versus his personal, you know, thinking? What are, what are you thinking there? Well, yeah, well, I, I specifically asked for something that you used to believe and now you don't currently believe. And even <laughs> – I mean, he couched it as, I used to believe that this was required, and now I don't believe that it's required anymore. And if you used to believe that it was required, and you now believe that it's not required, sounds like you've changed your mind and you think that it was wrong. Now, that might also entail that you disagree with an institution, because that institution says X or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But I think even before you agree to, all right, now I disagree with that institution, we need to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, look, I used to believe this. And I know why people who believe what I used to believe believe what I used to believe. Here are the reasons I used to do it. And look, here are the reasons that changed my mind. I think it makes you a better arguer when you recognize, I, you know, I'm totally fallible. I, I've changed my mind on things. And here's something I've changed my mind on and why. And I used to, I, I now think I used to be wrong. I could still be wrong about that, right? Yeah, right. So we're still groping for the truth. It's just a matter of admitting that it's a process I'm going through and being wrong is part of that process. Yeah, so on the set of, according to the philosophy of mind that I subscribe to, all of us must have, the majority of our beliefs must be true if we are even able to talk to each other. Um, <laughs> But all of us will also always have some false beliefs. And none of us know which of our beliefs are false. You can't believe something and at the same time think it's false. But we all know that, you know, well, I've been wrong before. And chances are there are some beliefs in my, in my set of beliefs that aren't factually correct. Okay. So you're kind of opening up a little bit of a door of where your belief system is very personal and could be right or wrong. And like, you should think of it that way is what I'm hearing you say. And then as you gather more information, your beliefs 
might change, they shouldn't be changing willy-nilly from day to day. But as more information comes up, your beliefs, you should live with the idea that your beliefs might be wrong. Yes. So I, a little bit of a clarification. I, I don't think belief systems are right or wrong. I think individual beliefs are right or wrong, right? It's the individual beliefs which are true or false. And to make, if you can understand what somebody else is saying at all, a lot of their beliefs must at least uh, accord with your beliefs, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we all know from experience that a lot of our beliefs change when we get evidence to the contrary that shows, oh, you had some past beliefs that weren't, uh, that weren't correct. You know, you thought, there were, you thought there was a burger in your office. It's not. You were wrong. You thought so-and-so was going to win the election. They didn't. You were wrong. Okay, so I got my, it looks like I'm up next. So mine's going to be kind of uh, somewhat religious-based too. And uh, probably a topic that will ruffle some feathers. Maybe uh, I've already talked to my dad about this. He's our number one listener. So dad, here, here it comes. I used to think God was outside of time. So God being omnipotent and all-seeing was outside of what we experience as time. And I changed my belief to thinking that God has subjected himself to time. And my reasons are that, to me, it doesn't make rational, logical sense either way. Uh, because to know everything is to know nothing. Uh, to me, those are almost logical equivalents. Like, you can't, if you know everything, it's actually the same as kind of knowing nothing, because it might as well have not have happened, because as soon as it does, you've already known it. So there's there's nothing to knowing absolutely everything. So when God got bored... Uh, he decided to create people of free will and subjected, put a constraint on himself to say, I'm going to let this play out so that I can have fun with my life. Now, I know it's dangerous to be putting a personality with God's thinking, but uh, when I checked in Genesis, uh, we are all created in the image of God. And so I have looked for scripture, um, religiously, forgive the pun, for about, I guess, five years at least. And I have not been able to come up with, because I was pretty much turning to the Bible to say, is this right or wrong, if I believe that the Bible is my guide and stuff like this, to say whether or not God is somehow outside of time. And so... Maybe I'll stop there. I could talk probably for a whole podcast on this. But, but I've come to believe that uh, God is, is kind of in time with us. In other words, he has the power to change things at a point in time, but he has chosen not to uh, look forward. And when he says in the Bible that something's going to happen, he's God. So he can take all the chess pieces and arrange them as he moves through time with us so that that event happens, if that makes sense. I've kind of 
and I, I've looked at I, one of the things that kind of changed my tune is I did find a uh, astrophysicist, um, John. Uh, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, he was a theologian, uh, Christian, and an astrophysicist, and he basically said. Um, there's theories that compete with Einstein's idea of time warping in on itself, and they were totally legit. Like, there's a legitimate dispute in the, that world of physics that life doesn't actually necessarily work that way. That's kind of a long story. I'll try to get maybe in the show notes I can get back to that. So, all right, I've talked enough. So, there, there I am. So, I was wrong in thinking along with all the other lemmings that God was somehow outside of time. Is your current belief that he is inside of time or that the outside time, inside time, inside time distinction doesn't make sense for God? My belief is that he constrained himself to be inside time with us. That he doesn't know it all. That's part of the fun is looking at our life path on where we might go, but it's actually us as free agents. His goal is to have us learn about him and freely love him and accept his grace. So that's it. I was wrong. Okay. (laughs) I thought you were going to say the belief that you were wrong about was that they were going to have Abby. Hell yeah, if, uh, I'd say the time, as the data came in, I, that okay, yeah. I think uh, when I made that bet with you, holding all of the things constant, which is pretty famous for economists to do, holding the current level of data constant, that they would still hold happy. So I think I still won that one, based on that assumption. <laughs> The bet wasn't whether they would have it if things stayed the same. <laughs> you can't judge a decision <laughs> most, only ex ante. So yeah. I, uh, I the decision was correct based on those assumptions. It's totally false. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So oh. let's psychoanalysis on me did, did i do good did i as long as i ended with i was wrong yeah uh, i'm not going to get into uh how your your dad's probably right and that seemed crazy but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh look i mean this i'm joking uh the the whole exercise isn't really about whether you are currently right it's about being willing to change your beliefs when you get new evidence or you you start to see things differently than you used to and that is what we should all be striving to do since true beliefs help us get around in the world and help us get what we want and we know that some of our beliefs are false we should strive to change the ones that uh, seem to us false when they seem to us to be false and we should pride ourselves in our ability to do that okay well that's like a good place to wrap unless anybody's got any other final comments Seeing none, on behalf of the Gortney Institute, I appreciate you all listening. And if you feel so inclined, give us the old five-star rating so that we climb to the ranks and people can hear this, uh, this type of talk. And uh, we operate out of Ottawa University in Ottawa, Kansas, where we're all hunkered down in our 
our homes this week for coronavirus. So we certainly pray for uh, some relief on the nation and the world in regard to that. So other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks for listening.